Amen. You guys sound great. I love you more than Bono. I'm, I'm gonna just scoot this back, okay, and then you can slide it back forward, because we're one. <laughs> hey, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to preach. Uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. Well, you know, in Ephesians chapter four, I think Paul is really saying what Bono and Michael uh, and the band were just singing, that we're one, but we're not the same. We're one, but just, just look around at all the strange people in this room. Just go ahead, just look at them, okay? Just look at them. Everybody's, everybody's different, right? And how do we handle those differences? You, Harry, dear. I'm on pins and needles. Isn't it thrilling? I'm all butter. Oh, this is a proud, proud day. Well, hurry and open it, dear. I'm just dying to see. Oh! Is it possible? Isn't there some mistake? Just look at those. The E A R S. Those what? Harmless remark. I just said that they're funny and they are funny. They certainly are. After all, who cares about her precious little jumbo? Jumbo? You mean Dumbo? Dumbo. <laughs> Here he comes now. Hmm. Pretend you don't see him. Shh. How do you like that? shoulder poor little guy well in Paul's words uh, that cold shoulder was a dividing wall of hostility and uh, we're all a bit like Dumbo I mean we're all born into this world with all these differences and not just physical differences but psychological emotional temperamental differences if you're a parent of more than one child, you know this about your children, and you tend to forget it about the people in, in this room. But some children are passive when you want them to be active. And some children are active when you want them to be passive. Some just naturally take risks, and some always play it safe. Some get angry, some get depressed, and we all make choices, and yet the nature of our chooser seems to be hardwired into this body of flesh, this earthen vessel. You know, in his letters, Paul refers to people as vessels. 
In Romans, he asks, what if some are vessels of atime, that means dishonor, and, and others are vessels of, of time, that means honor. What, what if some are vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, or prepared to hold destruction? And, and others are vessels of mercy, prepared for glory, or to hold glory. What if? Well, whatever the case, we all are, or all have, earthen vessels. We have a body made of, of earth. Now check this out. These are all earthen vessels. Do you know that? You, you know that pottery is made of earth. It's made of, it's made of clay. Glass is also made of earth. It's made mostly of silica, like, like from sand, but, but it's an earthen vessels, and we each are, are or, or we have an, an earthen vessel, and we are each different, like, like these vessels right, right here on the table are, are all different, so we're different. And you know, soon after we're born in, into this world, we, we each become aware of a problem. We use different words to describe it, but, but we each realize that we're not right, and we need to be righteous. We should become aware that we're not worthy, and we need to be worthy. We're not honorable, and we need to have honor. Uh, that we're not good, and, and we need to be good. I realize I'm not good, at, and I, I need to be good. We, we have knowledge of good, and know we need to be good, but we don't exactly know what the good is. And so in our insecurity, fear, and shame, we begin to judge. We try to define the good so that we can be good and, and eliminate the bad. So I'm, I'm, an, I'm an earthen vessel. I'm, I'm an earthen vessel. And I, and, I'm, and I want to be good. I don't know what's good, but I notice that, that I have a stem. And so I hope that a stem is good, you know. So I look around for other vessels with, with, with stems, hoping that maybe that's what's good. We, we go out to lunch, we, we talk together, hoping to be good and eliminate the bad, and, and then we, we make a decision. We say, stems are good, and no stems are bad. Our problem is those with no stems. And we place a dividing wall of hostility between us. And if that doesn't work, and, and, and it doesn't work, I begin to judge even more because I still have a problem. And I begin to think, well, maybe those with, those with, with short stems are good. And so we judge those with long stems and create another dividing wall of hostility and put them on the other side of the dividing wall of hostility. And you see, we all do that. And if we do that long enough, we find ourselves completely surrounded by a dividing wall of hostility alone in, in a fortress that turns out to actually be a prison. And you see, that's how we handle our differences. We call the strange elephant Dumbo, put him on the other side of the wall. And then the next one, Dumbo, until we're entirely, entirely alone. Well, you know, parents, they love that movie, Dumbo, for the kids. 
I mean, we always showed it to our kids. Parents love to show it to their kids, saying, you know, you really need to tolerate and appreciate, Andrew, your brothers and sisters and their differences. Every good father believes it for his own children, but there seems to be no rush to like fly over to Afghanistan and show it to all those Afghan kids. You know what I mean? Or Iranian kids, or, or our enemies' kids, or Osama bin Laden's kids, or how about those Japanese kids? You know how they are. You know, it's fascinating to me that the movie Dumbo was released on October 23rd, 1941, just six weeks before the Japanese invaded Pearl Harbor. That means that in America, while parents were taking their children to see Dumbo, uh, other children, Japanese children, were being locked away in internment camps. And uh, black people were not allowed to use the same toilets as white people. And in Europe, Adolf Hitler was gassing six million Jews because they were different. But of course, for 4,000 years, the Jews had said they uh, were different, largely because God said that they were different from the Gentiles. You see, the differences can be a lot bigger and a lot more complicated than just the size of your ears. And sometimes the differences can be described as sins. So there are, are differences and there are diversities that are not okay, that must be judged, upon which the wrath of God must descend. And yet we've all sinned. Book of James, chapter two, guilty of one, you're guilty of all, says, says James, violating the whole law. The wages of sin, any sin, the wages of sin is death and dead things just can't do righteous things, you know what I mean? Already in Ephesians, Paul has written this, you were dead in your sins. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But they have a vessel of wrath, right? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, so we're all different and, and we all have differences, but, but the difference is not whether or not we've sinned. There may be a, a different shape to my sin than to your sin, but, but it's, all, it's all sin. So, so if we put the bad on one side of the dividing wall and put the good on the other side of the dividing wall, we find ourselves, all of us, all on the wrong side of the dividing wall. <laughs> Except, of course, for, for one but hey, maybe we could like put all our blame on him. The blame of all the bad on, on the back of the one that is good. I mean, wouldn't, would that be good? Would that be good? I guess it depends on which way you, you approach that. Well, anyway, I was just saying, our differences are more than the shape of our ears. And make no mistake, our, our differences can, can really hurt. If you, for instance, break down some dividing wall of hostility and, and include folks that, that are really different than you, I mean, that could, you could get yourself crucified that way. But for now, let me just point out that according to Paul, we're all earthen vessels. Like these goblets and glasses and, and jars. We're all uh, earthen vessels, and yet we're all different like Dumbo was different. And so we're asking, how do we handle our differences? Ephesians chapter four, verse one. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Last week we realized that to walk in a manner worthy of our calling is to walk in the realization that we cannot make ourselves worthy for God alone makes us worthy, right? Worthy walking, verse two, with all humility and meekness or gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, a sign of worthy walking, unity of the spirit. A friend sent me this fascinating quote about our ecclesiastical situation. Listen closely. Muslims do not recognize Jews as God's chosen people. Jews do not recognize Christ as the Messiah. Protestants do not recognize the Pope as the leader of the Christian world. Baptists do not recognize each other at Hooters. (laughs) I, I love that. I mean, I think that's a pretty accurate description. But it raises, it raises a fascinating question, you know, and that is, do church people express more unity than, than non-church people? It's like we asked last time. If, if you go down to 16th Street and ask the average person uh, to describe um, the average uh, American Bible-believing evangelical Christians, what are the odds that they'd use Paul's description? Oh yeah, those are the, those are the humble people. Those are the meek people. Those are the, those are the, those are the tolerant people. Um, those are the patient people. Those are the people that are just so desperately eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the, and the bond of, of peace. Those people get along. Now, see, it's not just a political or ecclesiastical question. Do, do we reflect that? those qualities, that desire for unity? It's a very personal question. Do Christians, for instance, tolerate their children's failure better than non-Christians? Do Christians, um, do they give up on their coworkers and their friends more easily or less easily than non-Christians? Do Christians divorce less than non-Christians or more than non-Christians. And, and not just on paper, but, but in their hearts do Christians give up on each other. You know, Paul expects us to fight and he expects us to sometimes even separate, but never give up. Remember that guy in Corinth that was sleeping with his mother-in-law and bragging about it to the church? Remember at one point Paul says, don't even eat with the guy. Don't even eat with such as him, but get get together and offer him up to Satan. But do you remember why he said that? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter five, offer him up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that he might be saved in the day of the Lord. See, Paul wasn't giving up on him. If Paul was uh, giving him up, it was only so he could get him back. And so Paul wasn't giving up on him, not even him, not even the Jews that whipped him and beat him and eventually killed him. In Romans 11, he writes, if possible, I would be accursed for them. But of course, Jesus had already been accursed for them. Jesus and Paul were that eager for unity in the bond of peace. So, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And we modern American Christians don't seem to do a whole lot of walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Next verse. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Maybe we don't walk in a manner worthy of our calling because we don't believe in the one hope that belongs to our call. And and what's that hope? That one hope that, that also belongs to our call. One hope. Well, that must be like a hope that encompasses all hope, right? All real hope, one one hope. The Bible says it, I think, in different ways, but Paul's just spent three chapters saying it in the book of Ephesians. I think he sums it up best in chapter one, verse 10. The plan for the fullness of time to unite anakephalio, under one sacred head now wounded, to unite all things in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.22, God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Colossians, he says it this way, Colossians 1.20, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now that doesn't mean that some things may not languish in outer darkness for ages and some things might not be refined by fire, but God will still reconcile all things to himself in Christ Jesus, says Paul. Peter puts it this way, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish from the verb apolumi, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost, uh, the apolumi, those that have the, the perished. I came to seek and save them. Then he said this, when I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself uh, from the throne. He declares, look, I'm telling you, I make all things New. That sounds like one hope. And now think about that one hope that is the plan for the fullness of time, according to Paul. A plan. There's like a a fullness of time, which implies an end of time. The plan happens in time. And yet it bears timeless fruit or eternal fruit. Well, if the plan is to draw all people to repentance, unite all things, reconcile all things, fill all things with Christ, there must be a time when all things are not united, reconciled, and filled with Christ. And if we lived in that time, if we lived through that time, well, I I think we'd learn something. What would we learn? Well, I think we'd learn hope in Jesus. We'd learn hope, and and not only learn hope, we'd participate in the hope, the one hope. One hope that God will unite all things in Christ Jesus, one hope, and any other hope must be contained in that hope, or it's a false hope. In other words, it's a lie, told by some liar, a lie. In other words, you you can't honestly say God will fill all things, unite all things, reconcile all things in Christ Jesus, and also say God will not not unite some things, reconcile reconcile some things, or fill some things with Christ Jesus. Now, Now, some things that are really no things become different things when Christ fills them, right? Darkness becomes light. 
Death becomes life. Disunity becomes unity. Division becomes reconciliation. Emptiness becomes fullness. Sin becomes grace. That is, every corrupt hope becomes a true hope. All my desecration becomes God's creation, but, but all is filled, nothing is wasted, all is refined, all is filled with one God, one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one love in many vessels. I think that's the one hope. Now, if you didn't follow all that, don't, don't worry, I'm just saying there is one hope, and it belongs to our call. And the one hope is that God will unite all things, fill all things, reconcile all things to himself in Christ Jesus. So if we're not walking in a manner worthy of our calling, perhaps it's because we don't believe in the one hope that belongs to our call. I'll try not to, and I try not to belabor this point, but, but I really want you to know the sanctuary was called into being when Five years ago, the institutional church demanded that I publicly confess that this one hope was an impossible hope. Confess or, or be defrocked and cast out. That hurt like hell. And I know it really hurt for many of you. And, and people wondered, why does it matter, Peter? Just say the thing, just why does it matter? And I've lied awake at night going, God, why does this matter? Why, why does it matter? Well, I think this is a reason it matters. It seems clear to me that if I don't believe in the one hope that belongs to my call, I can't walk in a manner worthy of my call. I can't truly preach God saves. In a word, Yeshua. In English, Jesus. Instead, I have to preach God cannot save some people. Or God does not want to save some people. In other words, God is not always God saves. In a word, Jesus. In other words, I can't trust that God is one and will always be one. In other words, sometimes he's Jesus Christ and sometimes he's like antichrist. This isn't just theological mumbo jumbo. It's profoundly, it's profoundly practical. And, and I think this is what I'm asking. This is the very practical question. That is, can I hope? But not only can I hope, but can I hope for him and for her and for her and for him and for her? Can I hope for people that are different? Is it safe to hope? Can I hope? You know, I really hoped that the Broncos would win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I really did. And that's not an entirely bad hope. Because what am I hoping? I'm hoping that a bunch of diverse people would come together with one purpose, one cause, one goal, united in orange, and we would conquer every foe. That's what, that's what I hoped. It's not an entirely bad hope. In fact, it actually anticipates the one hope. It's just an incomplete or unrefined hope. I suspect there's no such thing as, as a bad hope. And, and you get real philosophical about this, but I don't think Satan can hope. Well, anyway, I hoped. 
I hoped that the Broncos would beat the Ravens last week. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I hope, but Saturday night, Saturday night, I set the DVR. I went up to the sanctuary foothills where I had to preach on Saturday night. This was my plan, that I would come home and I would, would open, open a beer, sit down in front of the TV, watch the game, and enjoy every play. I would enjoy every play. Why? Because I knew that my hope was secure. They fumble a ball, no biggie. We'll just watch how they pull this baby out. But at the end of the service, my wife came up to me and she whispered the bad news, the anti-gospel. <laughs> she whispered the anti-gospel into my ear. And you know what I did? I went home, erased the tape, and did not watch one play. <laughs> it just hurt too much. And I hope you know hope hurts. Hope is like an empty space in your soul, just longing to be filled. Without hope, we die. I mean, we, we literally cease to move. And yet, with hope, we hurt. We ache. And for some reason, God wants us to hope even more than we do. And so he meets some hopes, and some hopes get shattered, and then he makes us hope for more. It's as if he's expanding that painful, empty space deep down in our soul, expanding our capacity for hope. Well, as soon as I heard that my Bronco hope was an impossible hope, I I erased the recording. I, I lost interest in the Broncos. I, I gave up hope when I heard it was an impossible hope. I gave up hope. And that's just a stupid football game. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, Paul writes this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Well, if I don't believe that all things are, are possible for God, I'm certainly not gonna love because love hopes all things. And to hope what can never be isn't hope. That's called despair. And so better not to hope, which means better not to love, which means it's best to, just to be alone, which is a great description, I think, of hell. Alone without hope. Which means if I'm Satan, I'm gonna spend all my time convincing folks God doesn't want to save. God can't save. In fact, God is not salvation. In a word, God is not Jesus. So don't hope, don't love, just surrender to hell right now. Desecration, darkness, and the void. And if you didn't follow all that, just let me put it this way. If I think that there's even a chance that someone I love is a someone that God does not love, but in fact someone that plan God plans to torture uh, without end, well, I will immediately dissociate, erase the tape, pretend that that person doesn't exist and never existed, for to love someone is to weep their tears. It's to bear their pain. It's to endure even their hell. 
But if on the other hand, I know that God loves that someone, I know that God hopes for that someone, for love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and scripture says God is love, and so God bears them, God believes for them, God hopes in them, God endures hell for them, and and with them if necessary, and then Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails, love wins, God wins. You see, if I believe that, I won't erase the tape. I won't dissociate. I won't disengage with that person. But in fact, I'll do just the opposite. I'll engage with that person. Not terrified of differences, but fascinated by differences. Not, not terrified of others' failures, but engaged in their failures, even willing to bear their pain as God bears their pain. In other words, I'll hope. And Paul writes this, hope will not disappoint us. You ever been at a bar in Denver? after the Broncos win a really close game? Or were you around on January 25th, 1998, right after the Broncos won their first Super Bowl? Who were the happiest people in town? Who were the happiest people at the bar? I mean, weren't they people that walked around saying stuff like this? All these years, all these years, and I never left the Bronco game early. Everybody else would leave, but I didn't leave. I sat there to the very end of the game. I, I didn't give up hope. You know, I used to wear my jersey to the Raider games at the LA Coliseum. And I, I suffered for the Broncos. I got beat up for the Broncos. And they were bad. I mean, B-A-D, bad. I mean, do you remember when Elway lined up behind the left guard? Do you remember that? Do you remember his first year? He looked like Dumbo. People were talking about a trade. They wanted to give up hope. But I didn't give up hope. <laughs> And now they won the Super Bowl. We won the Super Bowl. (laughs) See, those that suffered in hope are the happiest people in the bar. I don't know if we can talk this way, but I wonder, who are the happiest people at the great banquet in the kingdom of heaven? Hey, do you remember when you almost drank yourself to death? I just wouldn't stop praying for you. Do you remember when you denied Jesus three times, Peter? I didn't lose hope. I knew he'd come for you. Paul, when when you were, do you remember when everybody deserted you in Asia and you were in prison and the churches were falling apart? Do you remember? And I came before winter. I brought the pen and the parchment so you could keep writing. I didn't give up hope. Now, here's a deep question. In whom will those happy people have truly hoped? You see, I think they will have hoped in Jesus, in Paul in prison as he's writing the Bible. They will have hoped in his spirit, even suffering in Peter, weeping in Peter in the dark, hoping that uh, his spirit would rise within Peter. 
They will have hoped in Jesus, dying in another and rising in another. You know, Paul says that we die with him and we rise with him and he makes us worthy. That's our hope, he makes us worthy. Our hope is in him. We're not to be full of ourselves, but hope to be filled with him. Ephesians 4, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, one. But, but, but grace was given to each one of us, who are many and different, right? Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Fill all things. Jesus is or has or is fixing to fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all these different kind of people to equip the saints, different kind of people, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, I think it's his faith, the faith of the Son of God to mature manhood, literally to the finished man, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, like I was kind of saying at the start, I don't think we can really understand Paul until we begin to understand how Paul understands us. And he claims that we are vessels. So, what's the problem with, you, with your vessel? What's the problem with your vessel? Well, it's not that it's too tall or too short or too skinny, or too fat, or has a stem, or doesn't have a stem. It's not uh, something that you call a good deed or a bad deed somewhere in the past. Uh, It's not a particular sin, a a particular failure. Um, That's not the problem with your vessel. Uh, The problem with your vessel is, it's empty. It's empty. Maybe another way of saying that is, It's full of yourself, which means it's full of ego, pride, illusions, and and, and lies, darkness, which means it's full of atime, unworthiness and dishonor, which means it's full of sin, which must be destroyed. Well, how do you get the emptiness out of a glass? How do you get the hot air out of an earthen vessel? Can you, can you like empty a glass with the glass? Get, get the emptiness out w- with the glass? In order to empty the glass, you have to fill the glass with something else. Now, if you think that you are the emptiness in your glass, If you think that you are the ego in your earthen vessel, the liquid that fills the vessel will feel like wrath and burn like fire. But if you know you're empty and longing to be filled, in other words, if if you hope Well, then that liquid I don't think will feel like wrath. It will feel like something else. It will feel like grace and taste like wine. 
Do you remember what's poured out of those seven bowls of wrath in the Revelation? It's blood. And it comes from a lamb who's standing on a throne, blood that burns like fire and tastes like wine. One liquid, one life, and, and he is good. God alone is good. Verse six, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. In, in other words, Christ himself is the measuring cup, the measure that God uses to dispense his grace. That measure is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a measure small and comprehensible as like a man hanging on a cross and as infinite as the very heart of God. So each of God's children can ask, Father, how much do you love me? And he stretches out his arms as they're nailed to the wood and he says, this much. This is how much I love you. I love you with all I have and all I am. I love you with all my heart. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father. In other words, our Father loves each of us with all he is and all he has. All of him is more than enough for all of me. He loves each of us with, with the same measure. It's a measuring cup. He loves each of us with the same measure, the measure of Christ's gift. That's how much he loves me. He loves us with the same measure and yet we're each different, we're each uniquely different. And so when he loves me, my, the shape of my unique emptiness, what becomes the shape of his unique fullness in me. The contours of my personality are still the contours of my personality, but it's like the inverse is uh, the obverse. Uh, he loves each of us with the, with the same measure, and the, the shape of your sin becomes the shape of his grace. The new me, the new you, Christ in you, the shape of your disobedience becomes the shape of his mercy. It becomes the shape of the new man in you. And so you see, it's, it's not a mistake that, that John, the son of thunder, remember John, he was a hothead, the son of thunder, that he becomes John, the apostle of love. It's not a mistake that Simon the coward becomes Peter the rock upon whom the Lord builds his church. It's not a mistake that Saul of Tarsus, Pharisee of Pharisee, the world's worst legalist, becomes the apostle of grace. And you know, I doubt that we really know the end of the story for guys like Judas, but I hope you see what this means. It means that, that Paul does not need to be intimidated by Peter. And Peter does not to be, need to be threatened by Paul. And Peter and John do no longer, they no longer need to compete because once their emptiness is filled with mercy, their differences are no longer threats, 
but blessings. Even if I'm filled with mercy and someone else is not filled with mercy, or even if I'm just a little filled with mercy, so much that I can trust that it's God that's the, the one that's doing the filling, well, you, then you see I'm, I'm interested in another's sorrows and fears and, and longings. I'm interested in the shape of their emptiness, the shape of uh, their sorrows. I care about the shape of their emptiness because it reveals the shape of God's glory in grace. And and I not only care about it, I suffer for it. I I hope for it. I, I know that I can't fix it or fill it, but I can pray, God, if it would be your will, would you use me to fill it with your mercy? When I hope for another person I think this is what God is doing. You see, when I hope for another person, Well, I I suffer for that person. And then I rejoice with that person. Actually, I hope for Jesus in that person, which means I suffer for Jesus in another, which means I suffer with Jesus and rise with Jesus in another. And you see, in all of that activity, God is expanding my capacity for hope which is expanding my capacity for suffering, but which is also expanding my capacity for endless joy. He's, he's expanding your capacity for him. He's love. He's, he's a river of love. See, w- when you love another, the, the blood begins to flow, and then you are no longer a lonely earthen vessel. What are you? You're a blood vessel in this great body where all is for one and one is for all. Now that can get pretty wild and heady and amazing to think about. And so if you didn't follow all of that, don't worry. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that you are sitting in a room full of dumbos. And their differences can be a threat to you. Or their differences uh, can be a blessing. You can be threatened by the differences or you can hope in Christ in all the differences. In other words, you can be Timothy. Timothy in Greek is Timotheos. It means um, worthy of God. At the end of Paul's ministry when he's imprisoned in Rome, felt like a failure and so many had deserted him, Timothy came to him. He came to him with pen and parchment so that Paul could continue to write. He wrote to one of the one of the churches, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see, Paul, Paul was imprisoned because God had given him big ears. It was because of what he heard God say that he was now imprisoned. I'm just saying Paul was Dumbo, but Timothy would not give up hope, wouldn't give up hope. You're sitting in a room full of Dumbos and you could be Timothy. 
In the movie, you know, Dumbo's mother is locked away and Dumbo is excluded by all the other elephants. In fact, everyone makes fun of Dumbo except Timothy, who happens to be a mouse, which you know is on the other side of the elephant dividing wall of hostility, and yet Timothy understands Dumbo. He has compassion for Dumbo. He suffers for Dumbo. He hopes for Dumbo. He tells Dumbo that, that his ears, he thinks, are beautiful. And that Dumbo is great. He's, he's not sure why Dumbo is great, but he hopes for an idea which will reveal why he's so great. But I wonder how we ever got up in that tree anyway. Now let's see. Elephants can't climb trees, can they? No, nah, no, nah, that's ridiculous. Couldn't jump up. Mm-hmm. It's too high. Hey there, son. Maybe you all flew up. Maybe we flew up. Yeah, maybe we... That's it! Dumbo, you flew! Boy, am I stupid. Why not take it as before? Your ears. Just look at them, Dumbo. Why? They're poisoning wings. The very things that held you down are going to carry you up and up and up. I can see it all now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go, Dumbo! Let's go! Let's go! Come on now! Up, down, up, down! One, two, one, two, one, two! Faster, faster! Get up flying speed! Retract your landing gear! Raise your fuselage! Take off! Ah, it's no use, Dumbo. I guess it's just another one of their... And so Timothy hopes for Dumbo, and he receives an idea. You'd say that in Greek with the word logos. He receives an idea, and he shares the idea with Dumbo, and Dumbo's ears are filled with meaning and filled with glory, and Dumbo begins to fly, and Timothy says, so the very thing that that brought you down is gonna lift you up. You know what St. Paul wrote? Where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. And in the very place that they were called not my people, they will be called my people. See, it sounds to me like vessels of wrath can be filled with mercy. Well, anyway, I'm just saying, Timothy hoped for Dumbo. And who do you think was the happiest animal in all the circus? I mean, maybe it was Dumbo, but I'm thinking maybe it was Timothy riding in his hat. So like I was saying, you're sitting in a room full of Dumbos, and one day they're going to fly. Their author is telling their story, and he'd like you to help. He's telling their story, which is your story, 
which is his story, which is this story. That on the night he was betrayed, when all of humanity had placed him on the other side of the dividing wall of hostility, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And now he calls you to his table. And we invite you to his table. And remember, the thing that makes you worthy of this table is realizing that you cannot make yourself worthy of this table. He invites you, we invite you to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and then uh, take that liquid in that bread and place it in your earthen vessel. Your unique, particular, distinct earthen vessel. And then this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to open your eyes and watch other people take that same measure, that same uh, body broken and bloodshed and place it in their earthen vessel. And then, Dumbo, I want you to hope. I want you to have hope. And have hope for the people in this room. In fact, I think that Jesus is good enough and big enough and strong enough that you can have hope for everybody in this fallen world. In Jesus' name, let's believe the gospel and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Amen. 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 So our God is mighty to save. And not believing that he's mighty to save is the emptiness. That's what traps us in hell. Not seeing Jesus, not wanting to see Jesus. Our God is mighty to save. So in the name of Jesus the Christ, Dumbo. <laughs> have hope, have hope. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter four to say, speak the truth in love to one another. And in this way, the body builds itself up in love. And so right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say this, Dumbo, have hope. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, find somebody. Say, just say it to some. No, you keep saying that, okay? That's our job. Dumbo, have hope. Dumbo, have hope. In the name of Jesus, Dumbo, have hope. Amen?